Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I hope you are all really well. This week we are diving into a beautiful conversation with Susie O'Hare. Susie is an author, meditation teacher, speaker and mother to three very soon to be four I think she was 38 or 39 weeks pregnant when we had this conversation. Her writing first began when she published her first book, Diary of an ADHD Mum. And Susie's work has now expanded to talk about the importance of healing ourselves instead of trying to fix our children. Not always an easy message to hear, but I believe, and Susie believes, it is the most profound way to raise our children. So Susie really passionately feels that instead of trying to heal our children and fix them and change them, we have to allow ourselves to know that the children are our mirror, showing us back what work we need to do in ourselves. This isn't easy. I'm not suggesting for a minute that it is, but I think you'll feel inspired by this conversation that Susie and I have. She is incredibly grounded and down to earth. She's not someone who's kind of head in the cloud, spending all day meditating and journaling. You know, she's a busy working mum of three, soon to be four. And it hasn't always been this way for her. You know, she shares her traumas. She shares how wrong, quote unquote, she felt she got her parenting for a long time until she was given the gift of a daughter who had multiple diagnoses and she uncovered that in fact she had a lot of unresolved trauma with her own mother and she shares how healing that totally changed the dynamic in her life and her family so I think you're going to find this conversation really inspiring and interesting if you want to look up some of the resources we mentioned quite a few books and ideas in this episode they're all on the website motherkind.co just find this episode Susie O'Hare click on it and you'll find links to any books or authors and resources that we talk about so you don't need to sit there with a pen scribbling things down if things piqued your interest I really hope you enjoy the episode please as ever let me know what you thought nothing brings me more joy than hearing from you drop me an email a direct message a comment on instagram and i cannot wait to hear what you think about this one here it is Susie, welcome to the podcast this is take two for us because we were meant to record yesterday but i had to move it and you were very very gracious about me having childcare challenges so thank you for that and i'm so excited that we're going to get to have this conversation before you birth your fourth child. (laughs) (laughs) I know, literally about a week away. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me, Zoe. And no worries about yesterday, it's all good. Well, I discovered you through Dr. Nicola Perra, the holistic psychologist, who I adore her work. It speaks so deeply to 
my passions and what I've done and I love her so when I saw that she had someone on talking about parenting I was like I've got to see who this woman is and I read your book and I just absolutely loved it and I can't wait to bring your wisdom and experience to my audience through this through this conversation so I'm really excited for what we're gonna unpack and share and get into your healing so one of your core beliefs that you talk about so beautifully in the book well the book is called heal the mother heal the child and I think so often people can think of it the other way we might have an issue with our child they might be acting out or maybe they've even got a diagnosis and we think we need to fix them and actually your message is loud and clear which is the first place to look often the hardest place to look is ourselves can you start by just explaining that shift in you And then I know that's going to open up a whole world of interesting things that we can get into together. Yeah, sure. My eldest daughter is now 13. From a very early age, we really struggled to parent her. She was very out of the box, very spirited, very energetic. We would have lots of comments from family members and friends teachers, you know, that she was different. And I went on this kind of quest, if you will, to try and fix her. I saw lots of different experts. We tried all sorts of different things, natural resources, and on this big thing to kind of make her fit in, if you will. You know, there's something wrong with this child or there's something different about this child. And how do we do this? And what can we do to help her? And the most confronting thing for me, I think, was when she got to about age eight, that I started to realize, my first book, which was Diary of an ADHD Mom, I started to realize that actually the issue was me and she was mirroring me. So I had this outlook to the world, which we can do through social media. We can make it look like life is amazing, you know, and then beautiful, sunny, happy pictures of our children and everything looks amazing. But beneath that, I was really struggling. We'd recently emigrated to Australia. I had a little three-month-old baby, a two-year-old and a six-year-old, and I just lost my tribe, you know, my family, my friends, my community, and my mental health suffered. And instead of me honoring that and speaking about it, it was actually coming through her behavior. So this is the first time that I understood about mirroring and, and how some of these children are so intrinsically linked to our emotions. And that was huge. And then when I started to go on this path of healing me, and working on my mental health and slowing down and coming back to myself and my heart and my intuition, almost overnight, this little jack-in-a-box child started to just really calm down. And it was my husband that said, do you know what? I don't think the problem is with our daughter. I think the problem's been with you, which, you know, again, as a mum, you can be triggered. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but he was right. He was so right. And that's when I started to sort of do more research on this and really kind of look into it. It takes so much courage. It's easy to focus on our children, right? Trying to fix them because we love them so much. I get that, that that's the first place that we go to. I think it takes so much courage to accept her exactly as she is you know, with a diagnosis, like she was diagnosed, wasn't she? So to accept her as she is and look within takes so much courage. You talk about this in the book so beautifully. How did you start to do it? How did you start to unravel the pain of your past? I'd love to talk to you about 
the trauma through your generations and your female line, because that's something that I'm incredibly passionate and interested about. So where did you start with this when you had that realisation, I think I've got some work to do here? So I came across a documentary called In Utero, which is amazing. Dr. Gabo Mate is on that. And they talk about epigenetics and how that, just like our DNA, I get goosebumps when I talk about this, actually, just like our DNA is passed through, you know, eye color, skin color, hair color, so are our emotions. So if you have a mother, for example, who has been struggling with mental health issues, anxiety, depression, whatever that might look like, with a baby in utero, in the womb, that can actually go into the baby. As well around conception, if the mother is feeling a certain way and the father, that that can actually be weaved into this little baby. The documentary I found so fascinating, I actually put it on my local cinema and the cinema was full and I had a waiting list. So many pregnant mamas came because this was the first time I'd heard anything like this. And I went back and I realized or really thought about what was happening to me around the time that I conceived my daughter And it was chaotic. (laughs) It had been a crazy, crazy year of all sorts of things with mental health issues, me just basically in burnout mode. I was 29 years old. We were renovating a flat. I'd just moved from London back with my parents. There was so many things going on. We were organizing a wedding, lots and lots of other stuff as well. And then just after we got married, I conceived her. In my first book, I always said, I wonder whether she was conceived with too much cortisol, which I then have realized she was. When I then started to really understand about this work and delve into it more, I then understood about how that's passed through the generations. So how my mother was feeling with her mental health. And my mom, I haven't seen her for a long time, but she is an alcoholic, had a lot of mental health issues, never had a connection with her own mom. And then it went further down the line. And I started to see, gosh, this is a generational pattern here that's coming through. And then I realized that I had this very different child who was presenting so out of the box. And again, I realized that I didn't have a connection with it. And I saw these generational patterns coming through. And I realized that I had to break it. I had to stop that. I had to be the one that said, you know what? This stops with me. It's time for me to do the work and change this you know, future lineage. It was really important to me to do that. I've got goosebumps too, because you know I talk about this day in, day out in my work and on the podcast. And it still gets me the power. Like there's nothing more important in the whole world to me. And I know to you than this, because what's the alternative that it just gets passed down and passed down until someone, and it was you. What I find so inspiring is this idea that we can take the biggest challenges that we face with our children or in our lives. And it doesn't have to be an issue with your child that can be the awakening. I think it can be anything actually. And see that as an opportunity to awaken. So you watched the documentary and how did you start to unpack the trauma that you were holding? It sounds like if your mother was an alcoholic, she would have been deeply emotionally unavailable to you. So how did you start to unpack that trauma? Was it through therapy Was it through healing work? Tell us how you started to unpack it. So this is one of the reasons that I wanted to write the book because there is not a clear plan or a clear path, I should say, for women, mothers, 
guys as well, of course, there wasn't a clear path. So I decided to try everything and really feel into what was working for me. There was a couple of years there where I'd go to church every Sunday. I tried that path and I just wanted to explore everything. I read and I read and I read lots of Eckhart Tolle's work. I started to try different types of healing modalities. For example, you know, Reiki, conscious connected breath work was a really, really good one for me. I would do lots of guided meditation. I would get back into nature. For me as well, what would happen is around my period, around my menstruation, a lot of stuff would start to come up for me. A lot of anxiety. I would start to have a disconnect with myself. It was almost a bit of like a a hormonal bipolar, which was weird. But what I started to realize is that instead of trying to run from this and outrun it, during that time, I just needed to go within. So this is the time that I would start to journal, again, sit in meditation and not like a nice meditation. I would go for the real deep, gritty, (laughs) you know, working on your mother wounds and father wounds and really just go there. And I would journal a lot. I would pray. I was doing everything that could heal me. And I think for the first time, one of the biggest things was really coming back to myself because I didn't have connection with myself. I never did. I think having that issue with my mother and having this sort of big mother wound, I had a very low self-esteem and a low self-worth, even though people would never know that about me. But it was deep and I had to really go there. And I did try a little bit of therapy. I saw a psychologist for a little bit. But for me personally, it's just my journey. There was too much fear wrapped around it, you know, and there was diagnosing me with this. and, And I just knew it was more than that. I knew that I wasn't going to be put into a box and given a diagnosis. And I knew there was so much more that needed to come out of me. I almost shake it out my cells. I think one of the greatest things I learned is that, you know, the animal kingdom, if they experience any trauma, they will literally shake and shake it off. And we don't, as humans, we continue to just carry this burden right from childhood. So it was almost shaking everything off and then finding who I really was. And all of the steps, every single step, story, journey, I've put in the book for mothers to follow or mothers to be. It's not just for mothers, mothers to be. What were you healing from? What was that mother wound, that trauma being passed down that was causing this disconnection? You've talked about feeling lost to yourself. You've talked about wearing a mask in the world. I think a lot of people really resonate with those. Tell us how those link to the mother wound. How was those adaptations showing up for you as a result of your emotionally unavailable mother? So two things, really. I think the first thing is I was petrified, I guess, of turning out the same as my mum. And I share in the book how I only send my mum love and compassion. You know, I'm very grateful for the life that she's given me and some of the lessons that she gave me. But I had this huge fear that I was going to turn out the same. So whenever I would do anything slightly remotely silly, you know, I might forget to pack something for the children one day for their lunch, or I might forget to fill out a form, or, you know, there's just something that mums do, right? You know, you're busy. And some of the mums would think, oh, it's fine. You know, it's but the feeling that I would have would be like I was a complete and utter failure. I couldn't just laugh at myself. And I think because it was always coming back to I'm going to be that mum. I'm going to let my children down. I'm not going to be there for them, you know? So that was a big, big, big thing. And the second thing was 
understanding now when I look back and my mom was always an alcoholic from a very, very young age. My dad was a workaholic. So he was a bank manager of three banks. He had lots of different businesses as well. So he was never around. He was, even though I have a beautiful relationship with him, he was not present. And I see now how hard it would have been for her to raise me when you are an alcoholic. You know, you just haven't got that time. I feel as well because she never had a connection with her own mom. So she didn't know how to give that to me. So there was no real love or connection. And what I found is that because I was constantly trying to get her approval for things and always please her, that then in my life, I was then a people pleaser. So I would say yes to anything because I wouldn't want people to not like me. So I ran myself into just like a little hamster on a wheel trying to please everybody else constantly when all I needed to just do was just actually be a mom. <laughs> like the burnout that you mentioned at 29 yeah. when you yeah. need your daughter it's quite a clear path isn't it you talk about this in the book how you know that trauma that was driving you of need for approval and busyness and acceptance it was yeah. in that state that you conceived the child that would later become your awakening. Oh it's, it's been amazing and I think I hadn't allowed myself to ever really go through any anger with my mom. I'd repressed that. And, you know, I always just used to say, I feel really sorry for her. You know, she's had her own issues and I only send her love. But in doing that, I wasn't really honoring any pain and anger, but it was coming out in other ways. Randomly. I would, maybe I might get triggered by one of the children and then, you know, shout at them or get really upset with them. And, And then as I started to kind of sit with it and sit with the anger that I felt, it would take me always back to my childhood. We look at anger as a negative thing, but actually it's got quite a lot of power in it. So when I would feel these angry emotions, I just used to, not all the time, you you sometimes you're driving in the car or whatever, but I would really sit with it, close my eyes, start to breathe. And it would start to show me stuff from my childhood. And I thought, this is the trigger. It's nothing to do with my little one won't put their shoes on and we're 10 minutes late for school. It's actually going right back to this pain of the mother wound. It's been eye-opening. <laughs> it's so true. And there's two things that come up for me in that. The first one is I believe that we can't heal what we're not willing to feel. Yeah. Like that's a real truth for me. And the second thing is what I heard you talk about was spiritual bypassing, which yes. is where we jump over the angry enraged feelings to the love and compassion I used to do this a lot where I'd just jump straight to love and compassion and that's spiritual bypassing that's not healing for me that was more of the same trauma of people pleasing I'm not allowed to have big feelings I'm not allowed to be angry with anyone because I'll get rejected if I was angry at home growing up I was told it's not okay to be angry so I love that you bring that up because I think it's a really important part of healing, getting into the anger. How did you do that? Did you feel that anger physically? Were you shaking? Were you punching pillows? Were you silently screaming? Or was it tears? It's sometimes really helpful for people who haven't stepped into that yet to know your experience of it. Uh, There was one particular morning because my little girl, Daisy, is nine and she's like the most peaceful quiet gorgeous little girl and a couple of years ago she started to go through bouts of anger and it was really unusual because she was and has always been such a peaceful child you know you know I always go back to your child is your mirror 
And I started to realize that in Daisy's expressing this anger, it was almost a part of me that I wasn't honoring and I needed to work through. And I know this sounds really deep, but I felt if I want to help Daisy with her anger, I've got to sort of address mine. And I was going through a stage of anybody that knows me, friends, family, they would never say that I was an angry person. But again, around my moon time, around my period time, I would start to have this anger, which I knew was all this stuff that was just trying to come out. So this is one particular day and I felt really triggered. I can't even remember what it was about, but Daisy was really angry. My husband took the kids to school and I remember kicking the stool and really hurting my toe and then thinking, I need to sit with this anger. It has something to teach me. So I sat on the floor and I started to do some really beautiful deep breaths and just tears started to come. What happened was I was shown two memories from my childhood that I'd completely forgotten about, completely forgotten about. And I started to work through them. I actually wrote about them in the book and decided to take them out (laughs) because I don't think they added to the story. But I felt that, gosh, I had forgotten about that. Some quite traumatic memories. And I started to then work through that. And I knew that I had to start working on that. I knew that I had to start journaling about it and remembering it and allowing it to flow through. And then when I did, my anger was a lot less. When my anger was a lot less, Daisy's anger was a lot less. She really was the mirror for me to do the work. And the other thing that has been profound for me is breath work. So it's either called shamanic breath work, holotropic breath work, conscious connected breath work. It's where you will actually breathe. Obviously, we're breathing all the time, but it's a conscious connection of breath. There's no pause. So you have these big, beautiful, deep breaths with music. Close your eyes. You're usually like in a ceremony with other people. And it was during that that I managed to get rid of so much of my childhood trauma, if you will, through breath work. And I talk about that a lot in the book and encourage people to look into that because it can almost just, you release the trauma. You know, people are crying, shouting, screaming, whatever. And they say that one session of fully connected breath work is the equivalent to a year's psychotherapy. It's I agree like with just, that. Yeah. It's it out. <laughs> I experienced when I was pregnant with Jesse, my first, I did a Kundalini pregnancy training which was really like conscious birth and conscious parenting training and in that we did a lot of breathwork release and it was unbelievable mm-hmm. I totally agree with that I think it's maybe worth more than a year's psychotherapy because the traumas that we hold and you've talked about it before are cellular this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash motherkind. We often talk about mental health, don't we? So I think so often people think that we can talk our way through. And to some extent we can. You know, I've had amazing 
talking therapy in my past as well, but my big shifts have come from getting into the cellular trauma. It's quite new in the UK. It's still definitely not mainstream yet. I think it will become so. I think it's so powerful to hear you talk about that. The other thing that I loved that you said is the wisdom when you said, how can I help her with her anger if I'm still struggling with mine? And I feel like that is so much truth. And you can replace that word anger with anxiety, worry, you know, anything. There's so much wisdom in that. Just that one statement alone, because that isn't how we're taught to parent in the West, is it? What we're taught is your child has an issue. You've got to go and see all these experts and try and fix them. Or, you know, if they're really angry, put them on a naughty step. Or what I find so exciting about your work is that you're really turning that on its head. And it works. And it works in my experience too. Yeah. And we know this now, don't we? It's not, the studies are there that show this. So I'd say the conversation that you're having is groundbreaking. It's at the start. But I truly believe in 10, 20 years time, this will hopefully be the way that we look at parenting more and more. I just want to add to that, that as well as parenting, teachers, teachers do a remarkable job. You know, I've never been a teacher, so I can't say what it was like, what it would be like. I don't want to take anything from them. But what I've realized is that there are so many adults that are constantly being triggered by children because it's reminding them of a time in their life when they weren't seen heard or validated. So often teachers can be triggered by children. And I find it fascinating that with my daughter, there were some teachers that would absolutely adore her and then other teachers that would be so triggered. And I think, you know, if we can start to do this work as a collective, it will help so many people. It will help teachers as well because understanding that they're being triggered for a particular reason. Years ago, I shared with a teacher, I was just starting to kind of get into this work and I completely changed my parenting and I spoke to the teacher about that and she changed her teaching overnight because before it was, you know, if you're, you don't listen to me, you stand at the back of the class, you go and sit on a chair facing the walls, quite old school actually, you know, leave the classroom, all the rest of it. And then when she completely turned it on her head, my daughter can feel when you haven't got a connection with her. And I know that's a lot to ask because you were a teacher. And I just explained what I'd gone through, that I stopped all of that. You know, you mentioned the naughty step and I just stopped all of that and just went more to connection and compassion and love. And this teacher was incredible and completely turned it around to the point where my daughter would say the teacher was her best friend. And she cried when she left the school. The teacher was like crying. And I thought, what a shift. And not only was she like that with my daughter, but she would be like that with the other children. So I just feel that this new kind of paradigm thinking, if you like, can just change so much for us from where we are now. Well, it makes so much sense, doesn't it? Because we know, and Dr. Nicole talks about this so eloquently, you know, there are three things that children need to be seen, to be heard and to be validated, i.k.a. connection. And when they don't get that, they act out. And what do we do when they act out? We break the connection even more. So it kind of spirals and spirals and spirals to a point where 
it's feeling incredibly, I've witnessed this, not in my own parenting actually, but in friends where it's, there's just a broken connection and how stressful that can be. And then of course we go to want to fix the child because it's really stressful to be in that place. You know, you talk about this work day in, day out with your community and with big communities. What are some of the resistance that you hear about this idea of connect with your child first rather than some of the more, as you called them, old school parenting techniques? What are some of the things that people come back to you and say, yes, but, and how do you answer them? So I think the big one is often when I share this work, it's really interesting And I know when I did my interview with Dr. Nicole as well, the comments and the feedback was so positive. But then the comments that weren't, I could see straight away, it's because I'm triggering that mom. But that's good because it means that something's kind of awakening inside of them. And I think the feeling is that where I've been, so I get it, is I'm trying my hardest. You know, I'm doing enough. I'm taking my child to all these appointments. I'm trying with my child. I'm trying to get the connection. You know, I'm doing all of this work and I haven't got time for anything else. Nicole and I were talking about self-care for moms. And one of the moms got triggered because she said, I can't believe that you're trying to say that if I have self-care for me, that my child will be fixed, which we were saying, we just think it's one of them. But I think that sometimes moms can feel, you know what, I am tired I've had enough. I can't do any more. And, you know, they feel like they're trying everything. And it's a huge thing to stop and disconnect from trying to fix your child to then just stop and work on you. And it's often some, you know, is that what you meant with the question? Yeah, exactly what I meant. <laughs> and I think you have to be ready. I mm-hmm. tell you to do this. In my experience, I had to get to the point you know, and I've had many, many breakdowns and breakthroughs, you know, but it's always true for me. It's not because someone's told me I need to do it. It's because I've gone, I'm on my knees here. I've got to find a different way. And I feel like there's something magic that unlocks in that. And if you're not ready to hear that, you are going to project all of that onto the people suggesting it, just like you experienced with that comment. How do they say that, you know, I haven't got time, blah, blah, blah. I think there's no judgment in that. I can't hear any judgment in your voice at all. I think it's just saying, when you're ready to look for a different way, here's some ideas. Yes. And I think some mums will say to me, you know, be really honest with me. And they'll say, you know, I felt like this when you said this, or I felt like that. And I always go back and say, just work with that. The reason that you're being triggered is because there's something going on there and start to unpack it. And start to kind of come back to, well, how is that making you feel? And what's going on for you? And because I always find, you know, one of the big things for me is that the triggers are the guides and they can kind of bring stuff up for us about how we're feeling. And it's often about that we don't feel good enough or we don't feel we're doing enough. And then, you know, one thing as well for any of the mums that are listening to this, when I was going through all of the diagnosis for my daughter and trying all these different things, there was a psychologist at the time that said to me, the issue is you. The issue is not your child. The issue is you. And I remember thinking, I can't believe she said that to me. And I went straight into victimhood, like, I can't believe she said that to me. How dare she? She doesn't know what I'm going through. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm at my wit's end and I wasn't ready to hear it. And it was actually probably a good 18 months before I sat with it and thought, oh my gosh, it is me. It is me. She's my mirror. The way that I'm acting, presenting with my stress levels, everything else, running through life is just coming out in this little girl. 
you actually have to be ready. I think, you know, we'll talk about it at the end more about intuition, but I think that for a long time, I had this intuition kind of whispering to me and I wasn't listening to it. It was almost like, be quiet. You know, the experts know what to do. I'm going to, but I kept going to see all these experts and just thinking there must be somebody out there that can help me fix me, fix my child, just not coming back to me. And not you. The answer was you all along. And we can't hear our intuition. I get asked this tons, I'm sure you do. How do I connect to my intuition? I feel like I don't know who I am. I don't know what my purpose is. And I'm like, you know all of that. It's just that you can't hear it because you're running. It's not the answer that people want. They want a five-step plan to the purpose or to find their truth, but it's already there. In my experience, that was my experience, that my truth was already there. I just perhaps wasn't always willing to hear it or couldn't because I was in my trauma response, which was running from myself. I don't feel safe in my body. And I think one of the things that is very consistent with mums, and I know for myself when COVID happened this year and obviously everything stopped, and all the after-school activities stopped, you know, and literally life just stopped. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I've actually been running, running like a little hamster on a wheel. I said that before, but every single day was filled with something. I told me to do this, I need to go there. And I thought, why am I doing that? You know, and I guess that we are in that world where, you know, you want your kids to succeed and you want your kids to do well. But in doing that, we are almost burning out. And That was a huge thing for me as well to kind of stop doing that. And in the stopping of the running, I did have more time to sit with me and kind of come back to me and come back to my intuition. And as you said, be able to hear it because I was stopping so much of the running and just being a lot more. It's so interesting that you talk about that, you know, that we so want our children to be successful. And I see this in the Western world, you know, and we think the way to do that is to put them in every club and help them with their exams and get them a tutor if they struggle with maths. And I'm wondering, that isn't what success feels like for me today or what I want for my girls. And I'm wondering, what do you want to bring forth into your four children? What would your version of success in a broad definition be for them today with the work that you've done? For them to be who they're supposed to be, in this life is really, really important for me. And they all present so differently. They're all so different and they have different gifts and different sparks. And what I've learned through all this is that it's not what I want. You know, they're not my trophies. I almost look at it like, especially with this little baby in my tummy, that I'm almost like this portal and this little soul is coming through And I just want to allow her and my other children to just present how they want to be in this world, you know, whatever that might be. And instead of kind of doing, we used to do lots and lots of different activities now. It's just more, what do they want to do? You know, still obviously encouraging them. That's super important if you see that, you know, they have a sort of shine for something. But just letting them be is so important for me. Letting them be and letting them enjoy life. And before I wasn't doing that, I was so preoccupied with not letting them down, not repeating the pattern of my mom, and therefore putting them into everything. And I would be looking at different schools and alternative schools and just just trying to do everything that was right. And I've realized that me being okay and me being present with them and having that connection with them is far more important because they feel safe as opposed to who I was before, which was just running through life. It's so interesting. And I often think about 
the underlying messages of behavior. And I think the underlying message of what you were doing before, which was the fixing and the putting in all the clubs. And to me, what I'm hearing is that to the children, you know, you're not okay as you are. I really think what I'm hearing today in your transformation is that your children are perfect just as they are. There's no change to be made. There's no fixing to be done. And the parts of you that are trying to do that, those are the parts to heal in you so that they can be who they are. It's so interesting. I had it the other day with my little four-year-old who's just started school and I really struggled at school. I really struggled to form friendships. I always felt different. It was really hard for me. You know, I'll say to her, who did you play with in the playground? She'll say, myself. And the trigger is like, I really want to say to her, have you not got any friends? Can I help you make some friends? Should we have some play dates? You know, that kind of manic. Because Mm. what's triggering in me is that she's happy playing by herself. Truth is, she probably is playing with other people. But she's happy. And who am I to decide for her that she's got to play with other people? You know, and it's such a tiny example. But I think when we do that day in, day out with our children, we're saying you're not okay as you are. And then we wonder why we get to women who can't connect with ourselves. Yeah. I shared this quote the other day that said, healed people hear differently. I've not heard that before. Yeah, it's so powerful. And it's interesting because that's obviously your trigger because of your childhood. But you could have another mom where the child would say, oh yeah, I played by myself today. And they would hear it differently. They wouldn't go to that, you know, that trigger, that wound, that pain of childhood. And I think that that is one of the most beautiful things that the byproduct has come from me healing myself is that raising a teenage daughter is is interesting. (laughs) It's definitely interesting. It's definitely a game changer. But I'm finding that I'm not being triggered. Like my dad was really triggered by me. He was very, very strict raised me like I'm sure like they did in the Victorian times so strict with me and I used to get triggered by my daughter all the time when she would say things and I realized it was because when I was a teenager that was a really challenging time for me because I was not allowed to be myself and I wasn't allowed to present who I was I wasn't allowed to wear makeup it was so strict and what I realized with my daughter is I was getting triggered because it was taking me back to a memory of my childhood And then having done the work, we had a situation the other day and I realized that even amongst all the craziness of this particular evening that we had with her, I was very calm. And I said to my husband afterwards, and he's been on a big journey as well with healing over the last two years. And I said to him, it's amazing when you've done the work, you don't get triggered that you can just stay quite present and quite grounded. Where my dad will still get triggered by my daughter. He's still got all these old triggers. Wow. All the old you can't speak to you like that and you know she's like this now what's she gonna be like when she's 18 and you know all of that stuff and that's important as well to say because when you start to go through this journey your parents can be triggered by the work you're doing because it's so different often are (laughs) yeah a couple of things I just want to pick up on the first one is with your daughter and her diagnosis does she still wear that label with you today? Or where did you go with that? Because I know people are going to want to close that kind of loop. Yeah, sure. So she was diagnosed at six with anxiety, oppositional defiance disorder, and ADHD, which is huge when you're six. And along the way, I also got diagnosed as well with ADHD. 
and something called PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. I don't know where they get these labels from. But what we've done is certainly for myself is I realized that, you know, they were just labels. They were just labels that we'd kind of, you know, put children or people or whatever into this box. But I found it quite suffocating because I would hear myself thinking, well, you know, she's acting like that because she has ADHD or I'm acting like that because I have PMDD. And I had to move away from, for me personally, it's not for everyone, but I had to move away from all the labels and just completely get rid of them. Almost that, you know, thank you, but I just want to live without them. So the way that we parent now, the way that we are as a family is we never talk about it. It's not something that comes up. We tend to talk about her personality. We tend to talk about her as a person and how she presents in the world. We talk about all the positive things. It's still a challenge, don't get me wrong, but I try and not step into that fear. And for me, the labels were giving me fear. And I tried to kind of come back to, you know, there's so many different labels now. A mom reached out to me the other day and her little boy had been diagnosed with maybe 10 things. I'd never heard of these things before. For me personally, they can just be confining So we've completely moved away from that now. It's not, as I say, it's not something that we talk about. We just see her now as who she is, as a person, as a soul, instead of a diagnosis. And how different is she? Because I know there'll be lots of people listening who have been given a diagnosis for their child, thinking, well, I need the diagnosis because I'm medicating them so that they can get through school, so they can fit in this box and do what they need to do in society. So I'm wondering, how is she today? Like, is she able to get through school? Like, how has seeing her as a person changed her? Because I know people are going to be probably thinking that right now. So it's allowed me to have kind of deeper conversations with the teachers as well and the school and put more support in for her. We are in a society now that does want to label and does want to medicate and you know, there's a place for that. But I also think that we can learn so much from these children. And she is a kid that doesn't sit still. You know, she just, even now 13, she doesn't sit still. But I don't sit still. So I think about myself and I think that's who I am. I'm not comfortable sitting, you know. If I'm on the phone, I'm walking around, I need to move, I need to have lots of breaks if I'm writing. And so I'm like that. And I've encouraged the school to let her have brain breaks. So that when the children are struggling to sit down, They'll let them just leave the classroom that they might go and have, you know, they might go, go and have a drink of water. They would like you to let Sarah and do some cartwheels because she loves gymnastics. She's self-taught contortionist, so she'd go and do some contortion. And then she'd come back and they would say the difference was amazing. She just needed that little break. I know that in the school as well that she's been at, in the other school, that they would try and do the exercise in the morning, you know, because a lot of kids haven't had a lot of exercise. They're getting ready, might be watching a TV, iPad. Life's very different now. So they would start to encourage the children to exercise more. So I feel that if we can learn from the kids, and also she still has a lot of the same behaviors as she did when she was six. Lots of impulsivity, distractibility, but it doesn't trigger me anymore. I'm not trying to fix it all the time. I'm just accepting that one day, you know, she's not going to be that kid that's working in an office. She's going to be somebody that's probably traveling the world and doing all sorts of, you know, crazy things. And that's her. And accepting that has been huge, but it's still challenging because um, she has you know, no fear, wants to do everything. And, but taking the fear out of parenting her has been huge. So I won't ever read 
anything on ADHD. I can't. In my body, physically, I feel sick. I just can't. I just want to try and see her as who she is and help her with what she needs. And another thing for mums, you know, she can struggle with regulating her, her emotions. So we have like big episodes. But again, I try and think of that as she's purging. She's letting go. She's releasing. Again, I don't see it as a bad thing. I'm trying to flip everything on its head as best I can instead of trying to think, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with her. You know, I'm just trying to flip it all the time. It's such a gift for her because her inner dialogue is not going to be, there's something wrong with me. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what gets internalised. Parental voices get internalised, don't they, as our inner voice. So her inner voice is going to be that I'm this energetic, creative. What a gift is that? It's just the biggest gift, I think, that we can give our children. Exactly. The other thing I wanted to pick up on is you talk often about being healed. And I'm wondering, do you think you get healed? Do you feel at the end of your healing? Or for you, is this an ongoing journey? Oh, yeah, definitely ongoing. Definitely ongoing. And sometimes when I think that I had cracked things, something else would present and it would come back. And I think it is an ongoing thing for sure. I think it's part of our self-care. I used to look at self-care as going for maybe, you know, a manicure and a pedicure. I still love that. You know, going to hairdressers or, you know, just going for a massage. But what I've realized is the self-care is in the healing and doing that work, doing that beautiful healing work and breath work and yoga and meditation, you know, whatever it might be. I feel it's a continuous thing. And I feel as my children are growing older, certainly my eldest, she's only been a teenager for a couple of months, but it's literally like there was a switch at midnight. (laughs) It was amazing. And I found again, oh my gosh, there's still so much work for me to be done because I'm getting triggered. And then I started to go into fear and oh my gosh, all these statistics about girls with ADHD when the teenagers started to come. And I thought, I've got to let this go. I've just got to let this go. And talking to her has been a big thing and talking to her about my healing journey because I believe that honestly, we as a family have probably done some damage to her. The way we parented her so incorrectly for so long why are you always like this? Why is it always you? Why are you always getting into trouble? It was always that. It was always that. Yeah. But I feel that, you know, if I'm just honest with her, if I keep talking to her and helping her and guiding her and being honest with her, that I've probably messed up as well. (laughs) I'm not perfect. (laughs) I wish she came with like a little guidebook. That would be lovely. (laughs) It's interesting that it's rarely talked about in mainstream parenting, yet we know is true is that our children trigger in us the things that happen to us at that age and this just is not talked about and it's kind of insane to me that we know so much in my eyes useless knowledge that gets fed to us as parents you know at the start of our journey but we don't get warned if you had a trauma at five when your child turns five you might notice some anxiety coming up. You might notice you start to feel weird because we know that happens. And it's so interesting to me. And I think that's this kind of parallel journey of healing the mother, mm-hmm. healing the child or the father, you know, is that actually we get shown what needs healing in us because they're going to trigger it at that age. That gives me response actually because it's so true. And you're right, we're not taught about that. And it's absolutely huge. And I couldn't work out 
what was going on for me with my daughter over the last couple of months. I was thinking, you know, is it the pregnancy? Is it the hormones? Obviously, it's been a crazy year for everybody with the lockdown and things. Is it that? And then I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, no, it's her age. Because that was a huge thing for me. 12, 13 was a really, really dark time for me. And I thought, that's what's happening right now. I started to understand that and it was amazing. It's quite freeing because before I just didn't know what it was and why I had these feelings and anxieties and worries. And But the power of it is that with that realization, you then go away and do your own healing. You're not so triggered by her that you're then, you can't do that. Why, you know, that shame base that you kind of mm. shared so vulnerably that you were doing before. It's like, that's the difference, isn't it? Is that her experience of these years will not mirror your own because you've done the work and that's how the trauma gets passed right we get triggered so we unconsciously repeat the same shutting down and then 12 13 becomes a tricky age for them and then when they become a mother you know it's you can see it's so clear to me and you and you talk about it so beautifully in the book it's so clear how it gets passed it's an incredible time now because we are awake to this you know we are awake and we are understanding this so much more than than do you think we are in a mass I feel like this is still relatively niche in parenting I think Dr Nicole's success you know two three million followers in a year or two I think people are ready for the healing I don't know about you but I face a lot of resistance you know a lot of positivity too Sure. But I don't think on a parenting level, I feel like we're miles away. Where do you feel like we are? Yeah, I have to say, it's interesting. When I published my first book a couple of years ago, I had so much resistance with that book because I was really... I have an ADHD mum. I have an ADHD mum, yeah, because I was really sharing that I felt that ADHD was just a different way to be, that it was a trait that I didn't look at it as a mental health issue or a disorder. I looked at it as just a different type of person. And, you know, I can understand why there's a lot of mums that were triggered by that. A lot of parents are triggered by that because when you've got one path which says, no, your child has this, it's not your fault. They have, you know, this diagnosis. And then for somebody else to come along and say, oh, no, don't worry about that. You know, it's just a trait, it's fine. So I can see why people got so triggered. And what was interesting is then I started to do the work on myself and I realized that we can keep trying to fix the child, which is what I was doing, but it's never truly going to fix the child if you don't work on yourself because all of that stuff's still there, the triggers and, you know, and all of those issues and all the childhood stuff still there. So you're still going to keep getting triggered by your child. You know, your child's going to continue with the behavior. And that's what I was seeing. I went down this process for a good couple of years of working on myself and healing myself. And then sharing this message has been, so well received, so well received by so many mums and parenting coaches and psychs. And it's been amazing actually that it has been so well received because the other book wasn't. It was, but it was triggering a lot of people. So I've seen a shift. I've seen a huge shift. And I think it's been amazing to have Dr. Nicole's support because I think she can feel the shift. The parents are thinking, you know what, what we're doing isn't working it's not working. We're trying everything. We're tired. We're seeing all these different experts. We're maybe trying lots of different natural solutions, medication. We're still having the same issues. Okay, well, maybe I need to look at me. So I do feel that it's starting. That's what I've experienced. It makes sense as well that the conversation around mental health and, you know, is getting more, 
advanced now, you know, than where we were 10, 20 years ago. And I think the natural next step of that is that people are going to stop looking at anxiety as something we can cure with box breathing or, you know, taking a supplement. And sure, that stuff's all good. But I feel like the next level is what you're talking about. And what I talk about on the podcast is those are plasters. Let's go back and look at what caused that, which always comes down to childhood. And as you say, it comes often down to in utero stuff. And I feel like when we naturally get there as a Western society, I would say Eastern society is in a different place anyway. When we naturally get there, then I think people will start saying, hang on a minute, just as you did, well, maybe how I am as a parent, I could stop this. So I can see it, but I'm excited. And I think your book is such a gift and I really recommend it to anyone who's you know resonated with any part of this conversation particularly the mother wound which I think is not talked about enough and is a huge issue of how we well it is how we pass trauma down the female line so thank you so much and I always ask the same question at the end which is if you could give just one gift to all the mums in the world what would that one gift be and why The one gift for me is that mums will start to really connect in with their intuition because I truly believe that any child that we have, we've been given that child for a reason, they've come to us for a reason and that we really do have the tools within to help that child and we've got to a stage in society where we are externally looking for other people to help us, we don't trust ourselves, we don't listen to ourselves is to understand the difference between ego and intuition, which I talk about in the book, because the ego is the fear. And really to step aside from that, start to connect with our intuition, start to connect with your heart, talk to your heart more than you talk to your head, and just know that you are amazing and you're powerful, way beyond what you believe. Because I didn't believe that for a very long time. And then when I stopped and I started to connect with my intuition and my heart, everything changed. Beautiful. For me too. For me too. <laughs> It's a lot more empowering place to live, that's for sure. Well, thank you so much. It was a beautiful conversation and I wish you all the love and I hope it goes so smoothly and beautifully with the birth of your fourth child. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you so much. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists And we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just £25 currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care. I'll see you next time.